In this week's OIS podcast, we hear from Israeli-based Orasis Pharmaceutical CEO Ilad Kidar and U.S.-based Chairman Jeffrey Weinhoff, Managing Partner for Visionary Ventures. In this episode, Ilad shares details on their Phase 2B clinical study results, and Jeff discusses the funding side of the equation. Let's listen in. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Hassan Sadri, board-certified ophthalmologist here in lovely Southern California. I am uh, honored and pleased to introduce my two guests, both friends. One of them is the brother of mine, Mr. Jeffrey Weinhoff, who is the managing partner of Visionary Ventures here located in Southern Cal, and Mr. Elad Kedar, who is the CEO of Oasis. Both friends, both brothers. I want to. I'm just absolutely delighted to have you guys here on OIS podcast today. Thanks, Hassan. We're pleased to be here. So, Jeff, thank you for coming on. I know you guys are um, really busy with um, everything going on at Visionary. Give us a little bit about for folks that don't know about Visionary and yourself. I would love to just whenever I have a guest on, I'd love to introduce them and a little bit of background, uh, maybe of yourself and the fund, um, and then we'll dive into a little bit of your philosophy for racing. Okay, um, happy to do that. So, Visionary is investing out of its second fund. Uh, and the focus is very narrow compared to many other type, venture type funds in that our focus has been historically all ophthalmology and we're now moving in to in- include medical aesthetics as well. So the visionary uh, differentiator is that we have over 75 uh, key opinion leader doctor investors in the fund who serve as our eyes and ears into innovation in the ophthalmic landscape. So, you know, for instance, this is, Oasis is a, as an excellent example of how this process works. Our, uh, one of our doctor friends, Sherry Rowan, brought this company to my attention and at OIS in New Orleans, <clears throat> I had a chance to meet with a lot in person and, uh, we they kind of met our criteria and we liked the people and liked the process and and we proceeded. So that's kind of our fifty thousand foot version. We're generally a later stage clinical investor, you know, kind of think A or B round investments as our first round, often the first professional round, and um, that's our focus. So we're investing out of our second fund. Very good. And um, you you have recently just uh, finished a financing round. Um, perfect timing. Um, can you tell us a little about that? Update us on on that, and what's your focus is on the next fund? Well, um, the most recent financing round we completed was an investment in TearClear, where we were able to um, add Bob Dempsey as a CEO. Um, and the last round we did for Oasis, we did about eighteen months ago to finance the Phase Two B trial, and we're pleased to say that that went well. And we're now getting ready to finance the phase three trial. Terrific. Terrific. Thank you for that update. Um, uh, Elad, it's so good to see you again. We saw each other, I think, the last time at AAO. We were able to connect and we, were, we did a short interview with OIS. And, you know, due to COVID-19, we've having to do this podcast, which we're delighted to have. And you guys are both you and Jeff were really nimble and getting on. And we wanted to get everyone an update. So t- tell us um, a little bit about your background. 
Um, I know you're younger than me, which uh, <laughs> is an inside joke. Uh, Elad is a few months younger than me, and he resides in uh, Israel. Tell us your background um, and why um, ophthalmology, and also tell us, I saw you, you had a law degree. Um, give us a little bit of snippet of your background and Oasis. Sure. So firstly, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak today and uh, share uh, the progress of Oasis with, with the OIS community. It's actually one of my favorite channels for getting updates on ophthalmology. Um, so yes, I have a, quite a, um, a different background than, than maybe people that come directly from the science background. I did study law and accounting as my uh, uh, first degrees and that did my MBA at INSEAD in France. And I actually, I have been now almost 20 years in the pharma industry. I started my career at Eli Lilly, uh, which has been a great school for me. And, and um, after several years in Lilly, I moved to smaller companies, uh, startup and mid-sized companies um, into more entrepreneurial roles. And, and really now looking back at my career, I really had the opportunity on the one hand to see how things are done in big corporate, in established processes. And on the other hand, things that are done in small startups with agility, sometimes creativity, and hopefully now I'm able to combine them and, you know, take the best out of the two. So um, this is on a high level. That's my background. That's great. Um, tell us about how you then came across this technology. Tell us a little background um, about the market and uh, what's your focus now? Sure. So, so really the, the, the initial investor in, in the company was Sequoia Capital and, and they reached me and that was almost five years ago. I helped them with the due diligence and, and, and they fell in love with the, with the product and the technology and I fell in love with it. And, and when they decided to invest in the company, they offered me to join as the CEO. That was almost five years ago. And since then I've been uh, running the company with, with lots of pleasure. Um, so, so really the product is pharmaceutical eye drops for the treatment of presbyopia or to be more accurate for the temporary correction of presbyopia. So presbyopia, as we all know, uh, a giant segment, uh, almost 2 billion people globally, about 120 million people in the U.S., so, Eight out of every 10 people above the age of 45 have presbyopia. So this is really almost inevitable. And yet the, the most common solution is reading glasses that, that obviously are effective but come with few key limitations uh, such as aesthetics, convenience. And therefore, there is a real unmet need for additional solutions uh, for presbyopia. Uh, and there have been many attempts in the past years, but there hasn't been so far uh, a solution which is effective, safe, and simple to use. And this is where we come in at Oracis. So it's our product, CSF1, that's the current code name for it, not the commercial one. Um, is basically pharmaceutical eye drops uh, that walk through a, a meiotic effect, a temporary correction of presbyopia. Um, it's a proprietary combination of existing and well-studied molecules that have been administered to the eye for many years in other indications. Um, 
the product has shown to be a very effective three line improvement to be to be exact which is um uh, the formal FDA criteria, but also very safe and tolerable. And 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 as I mentioned earlier, sim- simplicity is also very important here. It's a quality of life drug, uh, and it's a very simple to use. You put one drop per eye. It starts working very very fast. It works for several hours. You feel very comfortable when you administer the drops, and 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 that's basically the beauty of the product. That's wonderful. You know, as a clinician, seeing a lot of patients, it's often very frustrating for us because this is a big unmet need. As um, most ophthalmologists know, um, most of us really um, rely on reading glasses. Um, a lot of people's patients can't um, really tolerate contact lenses, and you know, LASIK, um, as you know is not the solution for this um, and maybe RLE is a little aggressive actually very aggressive for someone who's amitrope and can see distance acuity perfectly fine and what I found in my practice which is what's really astonishing and really testimony to how this marketplace and really what you're going after is such a good target is the patients don't want to do anything invasive in that at that age group they're healthy they don't want any they have no issues and they're just annoyed but they don't want to do surgery so this is a great space um jeff tell us i know we we're in the covid 19 we're hunkered down and we're getting you know we're wearing masks and stuff um you know relying on the how big this market is and how strong the clinical data phase two was uh tell us about your confidence level of um doing your next fund uh, fundraising round well it's never good to be be too confident because the world changes on a on a dime but um you know this is a this is a significant issue and people have been going to is and every other conference that i'm aware of and discussing the need for a temporary correction of presbyopia drop. So I think attention is high. And, you know, if you have, as this company does, strong clinical outcomes, I think interest will be strong. Um, What we are seeing is that Visionary is continuing to invest carefully through this this crisis, as are a number of other people who are considering the ERASIS investment. So... um, by no means is the life science market shut down the way some of the tech investment market is. And, you know, what happens in the venture market is largely unrelated to public stock prices. So um, I think we're confident that we have a great asset and that people will see its value. Do you feel um, that the health sciences as a sector, someone who's involved in um, investment, um, is um, different in nature, or do you think it was subject to the same market um, sensitivities and, and really, at the end of the day, can be vulnerable? Do you think there's any delineation there? It depends on the stage of development. So um, if you have a company that's actively selling product, and doctors' clinics are shut down, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for for the ophthalmologists who are not able to do surgery in the current environment. It's a big deal for the producers of product. But um, but for clinical stage assets, it's more um, of a, a modest delay instead of something that fundamentally turns the lights out. So, um, you know, the investing in life sciences is kind of like 
living in a walled garden. It's a it's a place that between regulation and reimbursement is something that's very specialized. And so you don't have people just wandering around blithely writing checks for any and all deals. It's very careful how you have to structure these deals. And so I think that um, that skill set and the knowledge of the market is very important to our ability to invest successfully. And um, and I think it also proves a barrier to entry and keeps us moving along. So it, you know, we're in good shape, but um, but you know, we we have to stick to our discipline. Very good, Elad. Let's go back to you a little bit about for our um, for our listeners. You know, a lot of the young entrepreneurs, and you're very young, obviously younger than me. Um, <laughs> um, you know, they enter this market, right? And now you're, you know, five years has gone by and let's say they're in a company and they're beginning to see like whack the mold. There's other competitors coming down the pike. Um, and it's How does that influence what's going on inside your company, the tempo of things going on? I know you have a, you have, you're ahead and you're beginning your phase three. Tell us, how, what do you think about that? What do you think about the marketplace in Presbyopia and how that's kind of changing and how is that influencing you and how you're navigating forward? Sure. So, so uh, you know, in, in every successful segment, in every successful space, if you if you are launching a successful product, eventually you will face competition. That's inevitable. Uh, you need to prepare for that in advance. You need to understand what is the right profile for your product, how you can differentiate yourselves from, from others. And I, I think a company that has a good strategy starts thinking about those things already at very, very early stage of, of process and development. Uh, and this is what we have been doing for the past more than four years now. That there, there are several elements that maybe in other products or other sectors, you would expect companies to start dealing with at much later stage. We have been already addressing many of those at, at, at very early stages of development. So, so for example, uh, all the products, uh, TPP, the target product profile, and all the relevant implications uh, from the desired target product profile on our clinical program, on our clinical studies, on our manufacturing. Um, these are all things that you as, as a company or and, and, and obviously as the CEO of the company need to think about them in advance. And particularly in the pharma market, where, where processes takes, take long time, sometimes years, I mentioned manufacturing, every small change in manufacturing can take literally years, you really need to think uh, a lot in advance, have kind of a, a giant gun chart that is constantly moving and changing based on, on, on reality and needs and, and risk identified, et cetera. And this is what we have been implementing always at Oris. That's great. For those of you listening, uh, it's really good, worth noting as you're building a company, I think uh, Laz done a great job of also looking at the landscape and ma- making sure that um, you're also cognizant of the marketplace and natural potential com- uh, competitors. Tell us real quick about your phase three. Um, are you ready to go? What, what's your um, what's your big, biggest challenge right now so far 
other than COVID-19? Sure. So, so Jeff mentioned earlier, we finished uh, phase 2B uh, very successfully last year in the U.S. It was a, a, a well-studied, a well-powered study. Um, and actually, when we built, the, we did, when we designed the protocol of, of the phase 2B, what we had in mind was that we would do it as similar as possible to phase three. So by the time we would reach phase three and assuming phase two B has completed successfully, we know that we significantly de-risk the program. And this is really where we are now. So, so apart from couple, apart from couple of minor nuances, the protocol of phase three is essentially not very different from what we have already accomplished. And this is why uh, we feel pretty confident about the execution of the study and hopefully also the outcome. Um, we finished the FDA meeting, uh, the end of phase two meeting. We finished it just before all the lockdowns began uh, in early March, March. We finished it very successfully and, and we are now... Um, advancing in preparations for phase three in all relevant aspects. And we hope to start it as soon as possible. Very good. So as you're doing that, what, what is the biggest challenge other than um, funding? What are any words of advice for young entrepreneurs when we're trying to um, start phase threes? Um, well, you know, obviously one thing is that you know, think about phase three already when you're, you know, at phase one and phase two and, and, you know, build your program towards phase three. So by the time you reach phase three, you know that all or at least most of the things you've already tested one way or another. Uh, I think that's really, really important um, because, you know, the de-risking um, in a development stage company is something that is always looked at and, and, and building all your program towards eventually uh, coming to, the, to, the, to, to uh, the starting line of the phase three. So you know what you need to do in phase three in terms of the protocol. And you know that you already accomplished many of those things in, in the, let's say, in the dress rehearsals before. That gives you and your, you know, your team and your investors um, a comfortable feeling that, that, that uh, you're on the right track. So, so that's one thing. The other thing, obviously, phase three is, is bigger scale and uh, there are lots of logistical um, challenges coming with that. You need to be prepared for that. Uh, you need to make sure that your expectations in terms of timelines, in terms of the, the, the team involved are really realistic. Uh, and, and, and you need to, to address those and, and, and to communicate those to all relevant stakeholders, both within and outside the company. So people really understand what you're up to, what are the relevant timelines, what are the challenges, and how you're going to achieve them. Uh, and this is basically what we have been doing. That's really good. Uh, Jeff, uh, this part of the focus that I'd like to have, at least for the, some of the audience that are in the uh, startup world, entrepreneurs, physician entrepreneurs, is really guidelines and, and someone who's already been there, um, done that, um, you know, given your success, I would love for you to give us some insight on if I'm a young Jeff Weinhoff and I'm trying to be a managing uh, partner or a leader of a fund or even thinking of starting a fund de novo, what are some personal pitfalls you can address for our audience, please? I think that, um, more broadly, you know, whether you want to be an entrepreneur or whether you want to be a venture investor, um, 
the there are a handful of things that are important. And for me, I think the first is solving an unmet need that is very sizable and where the standard of care um, can be surpassed by a large measure. So in, you know, in this case, for instance, you know, we our benchmark is eyeglasses, which are relatively inexpensive, but the convenience and and comfort of using a drop is a big, big game changer compared to the rest. I think the second is that, so I think the first is devote your time and energy to a field where if you're successful, it's a big success, not a small success. And the second is that I think it's super important that, that you listen to what practitioners would choose to have and don't invent a solution for something which is not truly a problem. So in our case, talking to our KOL group and listening carefully to the medical and scientific advisory boards and all our companies gives us insight. So if you're starting a company, talk to leading doctors who in your field who can help you think about what's important and whether the idea that you have is something that's relevant because it can be a number of years and many millions of dollars before you get to the finish line. Um, I guess strong IP is critical. Um, none of us will invest a nickel in something where we can't protect the intellectual property and and have a patentable product. And, and then I guess the last piece is, you know, work with a team that, that embraces knocking risk out of the equation early and in a, in a thoughtful manner. So I think a lot has given you a great example of, of, you know, superb execution on how you think about what could, what could upset the apple cart and how you deal with it. So, you know, the, the team at the end of the day is if you had a great product and a lousy team, you probably have a lousy investment, but, but, you know, if you can line up all those things together, then you'll have a winner. And and that's kind of the way we look at things. So we want to be involved in things that are important and that can add value to patients and make practitioners life easier in surgery or in their uh, medical practice. That's a great overview for our audience. I think a lot. it's exciting to be able to listen and learn on some of the things that, that Jeff was describing, especially when you're thinking about getting investments from the outside um, and you've exhausted your friends and family. I think there's a really good template. There's not a day that goes by that I that I get a call from somebody who's got a really great idea, but um, really needs some support and structure there. So I, I think for those listeners, listen to this is huge. Elad, let's go back to you. Same question. Young CEO. Um, trying to be uh, successful in a competitive world, um, in a new world. I don't know what, what that looks like. Nobody does, but what, what are some things that you describe to what's a successful CEO and what are some challenges you've had to overcome? Sure. You know, I think something that, that probably many other CEOs would tell you is surround yourself with, you know, with, 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 with the right team, uh, with people that sometimes are smarter than you, um, and, and I think uh, I think we've done quite a good job there at Oracis. We have a great team, both within the company, um, but also we have a great advisory board and board of directors. And 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 I think what what I like about our team, and and this is you know could be one very good advice uh, for for younger entrepreneurs or CEOs who build their company. Um, 
obviously it's very important to have big names on your corporate deck uh, but eventually when it comes to execution you need people who are willing to roll their sleeves and really help you at, at the relevant uh, strategic decision making points and I think not only our team members but also some of our advisory board members who are really senior key opinion leaders all of them are people who are really willing to to roll their sleeves and help us in 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 all the nitty-gritty details uh, that, that require, for example, going through a, a study protocol or, or, or preparing uh, the, the tra- target product profile. And really, uh, in that sense, I think that's really essential to have such a team around you. Um, another element is, as a CEO, I think, you need to know how to maneuver between the big picture and the little and the small details. I mean, as a CEO, you obviously need to to be constantly looking at the big picture. But sometimes I see CEOs that are just afraid of going into the details. And I think if you if 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 you are not having the ability and the willingness sometimes even to delve into details in those specific areas that require your attention as a CEO, you are losing quite a lot. So the, the maneuvering and I being able to identify where you can look it, at it from a bird's eye view and where you really need to go down and dive into all relevant details. Uh, this is something that, that I think is acquired with time, uh, but, but, but you need the attention for that because otherwise uh, you may miss uh, important things. And then maybe one last thing related specifically to, to development stage companies, um, always run by you know, hope for the best, and and uh, but prepare for the worst. Uh, you need to be optimistic as an entrepreneur, no doubt. Um, but you also need to understand that there are many, many obstacles out there. Constantly run risk management and potential mitigation plans, and make sure that you are uh, ready not only for successful days but also for rainy days. And and and. These are probably a few of the things that I, I try to practice almost every day in my life as a CEO. Hopefully that helps a bit. That's, that's terrific. I, Mark Cuban has a saying, he wakes up every day and basically imagines how this entire business, everything can be taken away from him. Um, not to sound negative, but really protecting the downside, like Warren Buffett says, like that's, that's really good uh, description. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that the audience really understood that. I think you guys did a terrific job. I, I was delighted to have you on. There's a lot more we can talk about, but for brevity of time, I want to say thank you for you and your families to be safe. And if you, um, have any further things you need, you can always email us, um, uh, reach out to the OIS staff and we'll be out. We'll be more than happy to add more questions and content. So with that said, I want to thank both of you for spending time with us and um, wish you the best and uh, safe journey through this COVID-19. Thank you, Ethan, and thanks to the OIS team. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the OIS podcast. Keep an eye out for the OIS virtual innovation showcase and panel discussions. For more details, visit OIS.net or email maureen at healthag.com.